Hey there, this is Tammy File, and I'm so glad that you could join us today. We want you to know that whatever you're facing, we are here praying for you. And we pray that you're able to experience the presence of the Lord in your circumstances and that you will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you matter to God. Hello and welcome to the Journey Bible Study. I'm so glad to be with you guys. I hope that you are doing well. I hope that you're growing in your understanding of God's commitment to you and love for you and the kinds of things that He wants for you. Um, I pray that you are seeing the Scriptures come to life for you, that you're able to look at them perhaps with fresh eyes and hear them with the ears of your heart, and you're able to surrender the things that He wants you to surrender um, in so that you can grow and so that those things uh, no longer remain inside of you but um, are safely in his keeping as he asks you to surrender things. We have just finished up our uh, study on week seven, God's covenant of love, and you've spent a lot of time studying over what it means to have a covenant with God and how he initiated that with Abraham and how we are beneficiaries of that same covenant through Um, New Testament scriptures tell us through what Jesus Christ did, and he opened the gate, not just to the Jewish people, but to Gentiles as well. Anyone who believes in Christ has given the same promises. Uh, They are given to God's children, um, whatever your nationality or creed. Um, We've spent a good bit of time this week as well really personalizing scripture. I hope that this is a feature of this study that you especially enjoy. Uh, Several years ago, when God began to teach me to personalize Scripture, it felt like a world opened up to me. Um, And that's really what tonight's message will be about, is stepping into a new dimension with God, a dimension that takes you from having a, a corporate relationship with Him and a personal relationship with Him to having an intimate relationship with Him. The difference being that you start out in a corporate relationship, meaning you hear about God, you're part of the masses who have some opinion about God. You step into a personal relationship with Him when you accept um, Jesus's offer of salvation um, through His crucifixion and resurrection, and you step into that particular personal relationship when He becomes your Savior, when you Confess that you are a sinner, that there's nothing you can do to save yourself, and that what he did on the cross was intended for you as well, and that you accept that um, gift of atonement and redemption and are bought back. Your old sin nature dies when you accept Christ and a new spiritual nature is born in you. And then from then forward, you begin to unlearn all of the patterns of thinking that you have learned based on sin nature that is now dead, your um, your own personal desires, just the, the effects of the world and that sort of thing. So the rest of your journey then is in retraining yourself in things of God, and we will rely on the Holy Spirit to do that. And as this study progresses, we will learn each element of that more deeply than we um, have already learned it. We're going to really dig deep into those issues. But but that's a summary of what you will do through the Spirit's leadership and through His strength. You will learn to think spiritually rather than... um, 
in the old way we would say carnally or fleshly, which just means in our natural man and our natural thinking, the person that is left to their own devices versus a person who begins to um, experience the mind of Christ in them and they begin to um, have wisdom and discernment and spiritual thoughts that go way, way, way beyond the world in which we live in our natural way of thinking. And so that is the journey. But what we really want to do is step into an intimate relationship with Christ and with God. And the, the way we do that is about our commitment to him. We step into personal relationship with him based on his commitment to us and our accepting that and receiving that and choosing to live from that. But we step into intimacy with God based upon our commitment in response to him. And I hope that tonight we're able to explore that um, in a way that clarifies that and makes it attainable um, to you and that you can clearly understand. Uh, Join me as we go before the Father in prayer. God, you are here with us. You are in each of us as believers through the presence of your Holy Spirit, and we are grateful. We are in Christ because of what he did for us at Calvary, and we are grateful for that. And we, you are with us, Father, around us. You are in everything. You are the framework around our lives. There is nothing that touches me that has not first come through you. There is nothing that touches any of us believers that has not first passed through you to reach us. And that includes the hard things and the unanswered questions, Father. While you do not author all the hardships in our lives, you do allow them. Nothing gets past you. But Father, we we want to trust you before we understand all of that, that you are good and you are loving. And Father, that if you have allowed it, if you have said yes to it, There is something vitally important in it for us. It is not just a training hurdle, Father. It is something of eternal value that we must go through that particular valley, that particular wilderness, that particular death of some part of our natural self to attain the new life that treasure that you have for us in there, that there will be absolutely no other path to that but this one that you have ordained in your wisdom that this is the best path and will end best for us if we will follow you through it. So God, I pray that you will come and just in in so many ways teach us today what you desire here. I think this has the ability to be such a powerful lesson in our lives, a paradigm shift of sorts. And I ask you, Father, to come and do that. I'm asking you to teach this. Let Jesus Christ be the Word made flesh, that that through the power of the Holy Spirit, that that Word will come alive, God, that He will, that Jesus will teach our hearts and that we will hear afresh what you would desire for us and that we will then respond and be changed by that. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, to John chapter 21, the Gospel of John chapter 21. We've been looking closely at the life of Peter 
and the weeks that precede this. And we're going to spend just a little bit more time with Peter. Peter's one of the most familiar disciples, particularly if you have grown up in the church setting. You may be tempted to tune out right about now when I mention Peter's name, but I want to ask you and encourage you not to do that. I want to ask you to um, prayerfully consider the possibility that God may have a new um, perspective to add and to build upon what you already know about Peter. God's Word is alive and active, ladies, and that means that it is never, ever without activity and energy in our lives. That means you can read the same Scripture hundreds of times, and yet He can have a fresh Word for you through it each and every single time. And I pray that that you will come to trust in that and that you will keep your your focus and that you will hear him through this. <clears throat> John chapter 21, let's begin, verses 1 through 11. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way, Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that would be James and John, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. <clears throat> so they went out and got into the boat, but that night caught nothing. Early in the next morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that would be John, the writer of this story, said to Jesus, to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have bread. This picture today is the place that we want to to look back over the course of our own life, perhaps, and, and notice the kinds of things God has been doing. God frequently in our lives comes back to a work that he started. We have studied this and looked at this. It, it, is, it is illustrated even in the um, description of creation, how God came back to what he began on days one through three, and then systematically day four, five, and six went to those same creative creation processes and added to them, built upon them. And that is exactly what he does in our lives as well. And so today we want to look at um, what, how God might do this through, through uh, various training and, and through mistakes that we make and through the things he desires to accomplish in us. Um, Peter 
this is, this is, let's step back for a moment and just remember that Peter has had a three-year period of time with Jesus. A lot has happened during that time. And of course, we've already looked closely, um, even in the last message, at what happens when Jesus says, Peter, you've been, the enemy has asked to sift you, and, and he's been given permission, basically. And, and when you are, when you return, when you come back, strengthen your brothers. You're going to fail is what he is telling Peter. You're going to fail this task. You're going to deny me three times. And Peter, of course, was, you know, you're wrong is really what his attitude is. But Jesus is saying, you are going to do this. But when you return, strengthen your brothers. And what we saw was that Peter does fail miserably, horribly within less than 24 hours, um, just as Jesus had prophesied. And and Peter was shaken to the core. And last time we looked ahead at where Peter was going, because that is the message God had for us. But we skipped over a vital moment that God apparently desires for this message. And, and under his leadership, I believe he wanted us to back up and come back to this at this particular time to illustrate exactly what we're learning in this lesson, which is a, has been about God's covenant of love. <clears throat> What today we experience is a time when Peter is being reunited with Jesus. But what I want to draw your attention to is the significance of this particular scene. We um, studied even before last week, two weeks before that, we looked at the fact that um, Peter um, was, Peter was, called by Jesus to be, said, you will be the rock, Peter, and you will, um, on you, my church will be built. We saw how Jesus first met Peter and how from the very beginning he says, you are Simon, but you will be Peter. Jesus was predicting even at that time what was going to to come in Peter's life. And we looked at how Jesus, when Peter made the decision to follow Christ. We want to look back at that right now to Luke chapter um, 4. No, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, With the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep waters and let down the nets for the catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, we will. Because you say so, I will let down the nets. Verse 8, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' feet and said, "'Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man.'" For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. 
From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore and left everything to follow and followed him. We looked at this story a few weeks ago. This is a turning point for Peter. This is when Peter lays down life as he knows it and decides to take up, accepts Christ's request of him to take up a different life, a life of following Jesus, a man who he clearly doesn't know what to do with. And that is what God's will was for Peter. But did you notice in this story that it's the same picture that we just looked at. In other words, after Peter has failed Jesus Christ, after his right at Jesus's crucifixion, when we see Peter deny Christ three times, and when God, when Jesus comes back to him to to meet with him in this encounter, the exact same picture unfolds as unfolded before. Peter and his disciples have been out fishing all night and have caught nothing. That's exactly what happened the first time, that momentous time when Peter decided to follow Jesus. The day he decided to follow Jesus, he could catch no fish, and he was a good fisherman. That was his trade. In this picture, Peter has gone back to fishing. He's supposed to be a disciple of Christ, but he has gone back to his old life And perhaps it's soothing to him, but they were out there as commercial fishermen with the big nets. They weren't just recreationally fishing, but they had caught nothing. And because they had caught nothing, they were discouraged. So when Jesus sets up this picture with God in his sovereignty, allows a full circle event for Peter. He brings back around the where Peter started his journey with Jesus. He comes back to that moment, same picture, no fish, despite your best efforts. And Jesus again calls to him and says, let down your nets again. And they do it again. How many times in the whole wide world had these commercial fishermen had someone on their banks call to them after a night of getting no fish whatsoever? This was their living. This is what they did all the time. How many times would they have had a bystander call to them and say, well, try again and them do it? No, this this is a picture created by God to get their attention. Jesus has brought them back to where he first commissioned them as disciples, particularly Peter. And he's created the same picture. And once again, they catch fish and they catch a huge load of fish, a load that prevents them from being able to haul it even fully into the boat. That's how large this is. You notice when we look back at that first encounter between Peter and Jesus, Jesus had said to him, don't be afraid. Peter had fallen at his feet in front of Jesus in that initial encounter where Peter would then surrender his life. He had fallen to his feet and said, get away from me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. I'm not worthy of being with you. I'm not the person you want to be around you. I, I, I'm just not the right guy. And Jesus had said, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. He did not say, you might. Or if you do everything right, Peter, then maybe you will. 
he said, from now on, you will. This is the basis of our lesson for the week that we have studied and for what we study tonight is about God's part in our relationship and our part in our relationship. What is this covenant of love that God brings to us? This brings you to point number one. Point number one in your notes is this. God has fully accomplished. God has fully accomplished everything necessary to give me complete peace with him. Number one, God has fully accomplished everything necessary to give me complete peace with him. God has done everything we need to give us peace with himself. We don't have to be afraid. Peter, don't be afraid. Sister, don't be afraid. Tammy, don't be afraid. From now on, you will. Not you might. Not you can. Not maybe. You will. When you walk with Christ, when you walk with God through the power of the Holy Spirit, you will fulfill the role God has for you in your life. You can't avoid it. You will fulfill his plan for your life as long as you stay with him because his path with you is not going to deviate from his plan for you. Do you need to hear that again? God's path for you will not deviate from God's plan for you. As long as you stay with him, he will make sure you accomplish the purposes he has for you. You can guarantee it. There is not a maybe or might. It is simply stay with him and you will, you will accomplish your purpose. Which brings us to point number two tonight. Point number two, I will experience. I will experience that peace with God. This is the peace we're talking about. I will experience that peace with God to the degree with which, to the degree with which I walk in harmony with Him. I will experience that peace with God to the degree with which I walk in harmony with him. Some of us want the kind of relationship with God that we choose the path that he and I are going to go on. Some of us almost hold God hostage because we have the indwelling Holy Spirit. And so we drag him down the path we want to go. Under the premise, hey, God is always with me. Therefore, he can't get out of this bargain. 
How many times do we say, no, God, I don't like your path. I want to go this way and you're coming with me simply because you're with me. Let's go. That is not the life that will lead you to experience the peace you have with God. That will lead you to tremendous frustration in case you haven't experienced that particular thing yet. God has provided everything you need for peace with him. Jesus Christ sealed the deal. There is nothing more you need to do to have peace with God except to accept Christ's offer of salvation. You from then on have that eternal peace with God. You will die and go to heaven to be with him. If you have confessed that you're a sinner, confessed you cannot save yourself, that Jesus Christ is your savior, you accept that gift then you live out of that relationship. But how much you live in experiencing that peace is thoroughly contingent upon how you walk with God. Are you dragging the Holy Spirit down the path you want to go and hope God will have God-sized moments planned along your path? Or are you determined to walk the path that God lays out for you? That is the life that will live in experiencing that peace with God. Peter had grown in those three years from the first time he left his nets behind and his fishing boat behind. He had grown so much that he had a confidence with Christ, so much so that when Jesus said, you have been asked to be sifted, Peter, and you're going to fail. Peter didn't even believe it could be true. He was so committed to Jesus Christ at that point. And and sweet sisters, you and I are as well. If we intend to be that committed, we can with our whole heart want to not fail God. And then it comes the opportunity that we were not expecting, the challenge or trouble that that touches that place of fear in us. Peter failed not because he didn't love Jesus enough, not because Peter didn't fail because he he didn't have a strong enough faith. That's what we'd like to think because then we think if we have a strong enough faith, we won't fail. That's not true. The reason Peter failed is because the enemy tapped in to that weak place in Peter that still had fear associated with it. There was a place in fear that when the enemy knew if he touched that, Peter would crumble. You have a place like that. I have a place like that. I myself have had a lot of places like that. And my own journey with God has been a process for years now of him shoring up, of restoring and rebuilding those weak, broken places in me until they are um, strong and resilient. But there are still places I have been a mess of a person. It had tremendous damage done to my soul. And there are, there are areas he's still at work in. For the rest of our lives, there will be things that we are growing in. There will be things that he is building on in our lives, but there will always remain certain places that have a little bit of, at least a little bit of weakness associated with them. Some of us have had such huge areas that it wasn't a little bit of weakness. It was life. It was like a mountain of weakness there. And the enemy scored with us all the time, maybe not in sin, but in keeping us trapped in insecurity and self-doubt and lack of confidence and lack of faith and, and just all of that confusion and everything. He, he succeeded in keeping us bound in that. 
the enemy tapped into Peter's weakness, that place where he could crumble, and he won his short-term battle, but he did not win the war in Peter's life. Listen, if Peter had never, ever come back to his calling, he had never, ever been restored into that peace of relationship with Jesus. He still had peace with God through his relationship with Christ as the Messiah. When he knew Jesus is the Messiah and he is my Messiah, Peter had, re- had freedom and peace with God from then forward. But he could have not He could have chosen to live a life that did not experience that peace, did not grow and build on that peace if he had walked away from the purposes God had for him. He still would have been ultimately at peace with God in his soul and in his eternal life, but he would not have been at peace with God in his daily earthly life here. And that is what is before us as well. He would have had that personal relationship, but he would not have had an intimate relationship. Intimacy does not happen long distance. We can say that it can happen emotionally long distance. How many of us have had long distance love affairs somewhere in our long history back? Those are fantasies more than anything. It is, we all know that once you live with someone or in close proximity with someone, it changes what intimacy means. And what intimacy requires of us, even in accepting that person's flaws and weaknesses. Peter would have known that he had a personal peace with God, but he wouldn't have lived in the experience of that. So number two, your point was, I will experience the peace with God. I will experience that peace with God to the degree with which I walk in harmony with him. Our peace depends on our closeness to God, which brings us to point number three. I can live a life. I can live a life that consistently, I can live a life that consistently, but not perfectly, that consistently, but not perfectly walks with God. I can live a life that consistently, but not perfectly walks with God. I say not perfectly because none of us will do it every step right, even when we intend to. Peter did not intend to deny his Christ. You will not intend most likely to fail your God, but you will. And I will. As much as I would love to think there was the possibility that we could live in a future without failure, without stepping outside of living in full confidence in that relationship, it is not going to happen because we are human beings. And because of our humanness, we are never going to get it all right here. But we can get better at it and we can be God-centered and God-focused, which means that we always return to that place with God that we know of. We consistently come back to Him as center of our our lives. We come back to that commitment and we say, I might have failed yesterday, but I'm back again today, God, and fix that place in me that is still weak, that causes me to crumble. That is what he is after. That is what your daily work is about. 
If you only meet at church once a week, your your weak areas are not likely being changed a great deal. You will be shored up and strengthened. It's like having slim fast once a week. You'll get strengthened for a little while. You get your B12 shot, but you will not live. You will not be recreated. You will not be restored by simply showing up for services. You in your day-by-day walk with Christ, that is where your weak areas are built up. And I pray that that is what, when you looked at the scriptures this week, that you had to personalize so many of them. You had so many um, passages through day two where you had to put your name in. And again, in day five, and of course, day one, every single week has that. But what did you... What does it do in you to realize that those words are for you personally? They're not just for the masses. That is the difference in that personal relationship where I'm part of a group of people who this is true for versus an intimate relationship that says, this is true for me. This is my word with God. That is that intimate relationship. We can live a life that consistently, but it will never be perfectly, walks with God. There's another important point I want to show you before we wrap up today. It is one that when God showed it to me a few years ago, I just can't even tell you how I felt about it. I don't know how you'll feel, but I've needed God to show me how he brings me full circle to my weaknesses and builds them up. I need to see that despite my failures, he still sees that I will. You remember what Jesus said in that boat the first time around? He said, Peter, you will. Don't be afraid. You will be a fisher of man, be catching men. You will, not you might. I need God to remind me that no matter that I had this big um, failure between the time he said, you will, Tammy, and the time I actually do better, I need to know that you will still stands. I don't know about you, but I need to know that. Well, there's something vital in what Jesus has to say to Peter that I had never heard brought out in a message until God brought these thoughts into me a few years ago. I say that because, but at the same time, a teacher is always a combination of everything they've ever heard. The Holy Spirit uses, you know, the scientists tell us that your brain stores every bit of information you take in, which is a scary thought, really. But the Holy Spirit uses those things. He pulls those archives and pulls them together. That's how he leads me in the writing of this. Um, he just reminds me of all of these different scriptures and the thoughts that go with those things. But this came to me, and I don't remember ever consciously having heard this even alluded to, but when the Holy Spirit brought this to my mind, I think it was as I was reading through the Gospel of John, it struck me because of the path I was on. So let's return to our passage in John chapter 21 and pull out this other truth that I think will be of great encouragement to us um, today as we study this intimate relationship with God. We're going to pick up again verse 11. Simon Peter, this is John 21, Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Do you remember that in the first picture with with Peter, I don't know that I brought this up. The, the net tore. It was tearing because of the weight of the fish. In this one, it is important to John to tell us, even with that many fish, this time the net did not tear. Isn't that a picture? No matter how much we fail, God can do things. And, and next time that net does not tear, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? 
they knew it was the Lord. He obviously did not look fully like himself. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and he did the same with a fish. Remember, they had that last supper with him not so many days before. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, that would be Peter. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. We're going to stop there for just a moment. I'm sure that you may have heard the point by now, and it's important to bring out um, Jesus through this passage will three times total ask Peter, do you love me? And it is important for us to understand that Peter denied knowing Christ, let alone loving Christ. He denied even knowing Jesus three times. Jesus redeems every single one of those. He gives Peter a do-over. Not in the same situation, not in the same scenario, but do you know how much shame Peter must have had over that? Jesus had warned him for crying out loud. He knew it was coming, and still he failed, and there is no shame in that because, sister, we will fail at times, even though we don't want to and we do our best not to. There will be times where we crumble. Jesus is coming back. Remember what we said. God's commitment to us has nothing to do with our part. We accept his commitment to us. That is God's covenant to us. But the intimate relationship, that living in the peace of that relationship is what happens through our commitment to him. Peter had failed in his commitment to Christ, but Christ is saying, this is not a long-term failure, Peter. This is fixable. This does not change the first picture that we started with in the boat when I said, you will catch men. This doesn't change that. And I'll go item for item with you and redeem everyone. And so three times Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? And three times Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. It is important to see that Jesus cared about every little part of Peter. One of the Gospels tells us that when he was denying Christ, only one of the Gospels captures this, but I think we looked at this in our other message, that that Peter looks up and sees Jesus looking looking at him right at the third time. Jesus is a distance away, but he looks up. Peter is here's He says, no, I don't know him. And he begins to hear the rooster crow and he looks up and Christ is looking directly at him as that rooster crows. And and Peter fled out of the city gates, weeping bitterly. He had looked Christ in the eye right as he finished failing him. Jesus gives him the opportunity to look deeply into his face, deeply into his eyes once more, and this time, get it right. Yes, I know you. Yes, I love you. We need that kind of God, and we need to know he is that kind of God. But what I want to show you today goes beyond that to another thing. Jesus has stopped talking to them about fish. He has suddenly brought up to Peter sheep. 
feed my lambs, take care of my sheep. That reminded me through the prompting of the Holy Spirit of another place that John also records, John chapter 10. And if you would turn back in your Bible there, verses 1 through 11, John 10, 1 through 11, Jesus is speaking. I tell you the truth. Now you have to know Peter and John were here for this teaching. I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him and his sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them out, all his own... um, When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We're going to pause there. When Jesus begins saying to Peter, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep. Don't you know that Peter's mind would have sprung back through time to when Jesus had taught he is a shepherd. There were shepherds and sheep around during this time. So they were familiar with this visual. We are not so familiar with it. But Peter would have heard him teach He's the gate. Jesus is the only gate. And Jesus is the shepherd. But now he's saying, you, Peter, feed my lambs. And you, Peter, take care of my sheep. Why is Jesus saying it now? He's told him he'd be fisher of men. And he will be. He's going to catch them for God's kingdom. He's going to round them up. But he is also going to have to shepherd those people. Jesus, you remember, will have told Peter, Peter, you are the rock that I will build my church on. Peter wasn't just going to be one of his workers. Peter was a prime leader that Jesus was leaving in charge. And so now he says, beyond bringing people in, you are now going to shepherd those people. I have been this shepherd but you are now going to be a shepherd. Pick up with me in John chapter 10, where we were about the shepherds and start in verse 12. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. And my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me. And I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Stop there. Peter, a hired hand will take care of the sheep. But when trouble comes, when they are threatened, when their weak spot is hit, they will abandon the sheep and the sheep will 
scatter. Had that not happened when Christ had been crucified? Had the sheep that were the disciples not scattered? Yes, that's why they're out fishing again. They've left where they were supposed to be staying. They left the the place God had left them. Jesus had said to, this is the life I've called you is be my disciple. And they've gone back to being fishermen. Peter, you can't be a hired hand anymore. Now I need you to be the shepherd. Now I need you to be a partner with me and be a physical, tangible shepherd to my sheep. Jesus is saying, I'm the spiritual shepherd, but I have to go away to my father. I'm not going to be with you. John chapters 14, 15, 16, 17. Jesus went at length to say, I'm leaving, but I'm leaving you with the comforter. I'm going away and you will not be able to see me anymore. Jesus is going to continue forever and ever to be the spiritual shepherd But Peter, I have to have shepherds here with flesh and bones. I need to have shepherds that my sheep can see. I need to have shepherds with skin on. The sheep have woolly fur on. I need a shepherd with them. I need someone they can see and touch. And you, Peter, are here to take that role. But you cannot be a hired hand any longer. You have to take ownership of this thing. I am entrusting to you this ministry. You can't just work for me anymore. You can't just do the work. You got to want this. You got to love these sheep. As a matter of fact, Peter, you're going to have to love them so much that you would be willing to lay down your life for them, just as I have laid down my life for them and for you. You, this is what I'm calling you to do, Peter. How many of us are hired hands in God's kingdom? We're doing the work because we want to serve God, but we don't necessarily have that sense. We still will run when trouble comes. Some of us are being called today to step out of being a servant and become more than that, to take ownership of that thing. Now, listen, you still have that spiritual shepherd. You still have the head of Christ over you. It doesn't mean you step out from any authority. Instead, you're accepting a new mantle of authority. You're receiving a higher level of responsibility in God's kingdom. You're moving from helping him do something to taking a vital role in it. And you will have to love those you serve. And you will have to give your life away for them. That is what Jesus is bringing to Peter. When we return to John chapter 21, Jesus has said the second time as we've looked at, take care of my sheep. Verse 17, the third time Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. 
Peter, you're going to give up your life. But here's your job. You follow me. Jesus had said those words to Peter long, long ago. Will you forsake the life you know? You might even be really good at it. And will you follow me? Peter was being given a do-over. Jesus always knew on the day that he said to Peter, from now on, you will catch men. He knew when he said, don't be afraid to Peter. He knew that Peter would fail him. He knew that he was going to crumble because he's a human being if for nothing else. But, but Jesus knew he had discernment and foreknowledge. He knew this was going to be hard. He knows In your life, this is going to be hard. He knows that from the time he calls you, you're going to mess it up. He knows what it will take for you to become the one that can be entrusted with such a ministry, be entrusted with such responsibility in God's kingdom. But will you step out? God has given his full covenant commitment to you, and you receive that for yourself when you step into personal relationship with him through your salvation. But will you now step into an even deeper level of intimacy with him by stepping onto the path he has chosen for you, not the path you would choose for yourself, that his path with you will most certainly accomplish his purposes for you. Remember, his path for you will always lead through his plan for you. You stay with him and he will accomplish his purpose in your life. That is your job is simply to stay with him and to stay with him with every part of you that can. And continue coming back to him every time you fail. And every time he brings up a new place in you that he says, now trust this one with me. And that's what's going to happen. You're going to think, I'm all in. I've already been surrendered. And then he'll bring up some other area, some little place of you. And it will be trust. It'll have a fear associated with it. It'll always have a fear associated with it. And he'll say, well, you give up the fear and choose to trust. That is where we are. Will you respond to God's covenant of love? By saying today, yes, I love you. Yes, I will follow you. And yes, I will accept this mantle of responsibility in your kingdom. Father God, we do not deserve your goodness to us. We'll never be worthy. We'll never earn it. But that isn't how it works. And I'm so thankful that that isn't how it works because we'd be in so much trouble, every one of us. Even Billy Graham, God, even Mother Teresa, and even the highest people we think of, they're human. They have flaws. They have sins and weaknesses. They did not do it perfectly, no matter what it looks like. But that isn't what you ask. You ask that we come back time and time again to your path and your purposes for us. God, may we understand that it isn't as important for us to keep our eyes on the purposes you have for us as it is to keep our eyes on the path you have for us, which is just with you. If we are busy looking into your face every day and walking with you, we will walk ourselves. You will walk us through our purposes and fulfill them. Have your way in our lives, God. Be honored and blessed through this. Be glorified. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you would like to study along with me, 
You can find the workbooks at TammyFile.com and just click on the Bookstore tab. This message coordinates with the first workbook in the Journey with God series called Discovering the Father's Heart.